name to dwell in our hearts. Wow. What a thought, what a concept. It blew Paul's mind. Paul said, Christ in us. I mean, that, that amazing. God would come and live inside of human vessels, jars of clay. We're going to continue in the book of Ruth this morning. So I would invite you to turn with me to Ruth chapter 2. Ruth chapter 2. I hope you've been reading it. Let's try to read it once a week. It's only four chapters, not many verses. You can do it. I figured out from, the, from my house to the office I can listen to it uh, in, on a one-way one trip from my house to the, to the office. Listen to the book of Ruth and I enjoy reading it too. It's just a wonderful story. So many layers to it and we'll get to those layers uh, in subsequent weeks. We're in chapter 2, again reading in verse 1. It says, And Naomi had a kinsman of her husband's, a mighty man of wealth of the family of Elimelech, and his name was Boaz. And Ruth the Moabitess, the author continues to stress the fact that she's not from around here. She's, you know, there's, there's a point here. Ruth the Moabitess said unto Naomi, Let me now go to the field and glean ears of corn after him, and in whose sight I shall find grace. And she said unto her, Go, my daughter. I want to speak to you this morning. Uh, last week we talked about bitter in Bethlehem. Today I want to speak to you on a subject from bitterness to betterness. How about that? Let's pray. Father, thank you for the word of God. Thank you for the privilege to preach your word. Lord, open up our understanding of the scriptures today. And I ask that you would help me, enable me, empower me, equip me, speak through me. I'm totally dependent upon you. And I leave the results of all of this because I know your word will not return void. And so you have a purpose in all of this. And so I just give you the praise in advance for what you're going to do. In Jesus' name, amen. From bitterness to betterness. Now let's review from Ruth chapter 1 for those of you who might not have been here last week. We learned that the story takes place during the time of the Judges. And you can look at the last chapter of the book of Judges. And it tells us what the, the climate the spiritual climate of the world was like for Israel uh, during those times. It says that there was no king in Israel, and every man did what was right in his own eyes. Okay? So this story of Ruth takes place in the context of the period of the book of Judges. And it stands as a contrast to the unfaithfulness and apostasy that takes place that categorizes or summarizes the, uh, the book of Judges. Ruth is a highlight in what is a really low time spiritually, morally, for Israel. So we have this family, and we read that during the time of the judges that there's a famine in the land of Bethlehem, which is where they're from, which, by the way, means the house of bread. And there's a famine. We're not told why the famine takes place. We could conjecture, draw our own uh, conclusions as to why that's happening. Because of the apostasy, perhaps, maybe natural disasters, perhaps a uh, an enemy siege. Any number of things could have caused the famine. We're not told why. But as a result of the famine, this man named Elimelech decides to take his family of four to the land of Moab to find food for his family. And we know this about Moab. We know that it began, that the nation of Moab became, uh, began as a result of an incestuous union between Lot, who was Abraham's nephew, Lot and his oldest daughter, and uh, they had a child, and his name was Moab, and so he became the father of the Moabites. So it had a really bad beginning, you know, a sinful beginning. We know that Moab was a continual thorn in the side to Israel as they were journeying uh, in, in the wilderness during the Exodus experience. We know that they had hired uh, this, this false prophet, this prophet for hire, Balaam, to curse Israel, and they were unsuccessful. We know that the Moabite women caused the children of Israel to sin. Apparently, they were lookers. They were, they were nice-looking women, and they caused the children of Israel to sin, and thousands died as a result of sexual immorality with the Moabites. We know that Moab was also the dwelling place of the deity Shamash, Kamash, and among the, the characteristics of Kamash, he, uh, he condoned child sacrifice, human sacrifice. 
And uh, uh, as a summary statement, in the book of Psalms, twice, I think, God says this about Moab. Moab is my wash pot. Maybe you've read that. Basically, means uh, Moab is God's trash can. I mean, so this is where they're, they're leaving the house of bread to go to the trash can, God's trash can. Now, they, uh, it says initially that Elimelech went to sojourn there to be a resident alien. But what we find is they ended up spending almost 10 years there, give or take, 10 years uh, there. Now, Elimelech, when he goes to Moab, uh, he dies somewhere in the process of time. And his two sons, Machlon and Kilion, end up marrying two Moabitess women. And uh, not long after that, we presume, maybe sometime after the 10 years, I don't know. But anyway, they die. And so uh, we were left with three widows. You have Naomi and Ruth and her sister uh, Orpah. We're left with those, those girls, the three widows. And uh, it's, a, it's a sad situation. And so Naomi hears that God has visited the children of Israel with uh, giving them bread. And so she arises and decides to return. It's a picture of repentance. And so she decides to return, and she's going to go there with her two daughters-in-law, with, uh, with Ruth and Orpah. And as they're going along the way, and, and she's trying desperately to talk them out of it, because if they come back to Israel, uh, more than likely these two Moabite girls don't have much of a future. They're outsiders, for one. Remember in Deuteronomy, God said, don't have anything to do with the Moabites. They're not to be in the congregation of the Lord up into the 10th generation. And so there's not much hope of them getting married. And there's not much hope of their, the names of their husbands going on. Apparently, both women were barren. And that's, that's uh, an important detail to keep in mind. Because it's going to take a miracle for Ruth to conceive, it would seem. And uh, so Ruth is barren, and, and she tries her best to talk him out of it, and she's able to convince Orpah to go back home. And we're not going to be too rough on her because it could be that Orpah just went out of respect. In that culture, you know, the, the mother-in-law would have been an elder, and it may have just been out of respect she goes back. But Ruth, on the other hand, decides that rather than being a wife, she's going to be a widow, and she's going to be a caretaker. She's going to take care of her mother-in-law. And it's such a noble thing, and you have that wonderful phrase that where she says, I'm gonna, wherever you go, I'm going to go. I'm going to dwell with you. Uh, your God will be my God. Where you die, I'll die, and then I'll be buried there. And then she takes an oath, a death oath on her and says, you know, God, do this to me if, if I don't live up to my, to my word. And, uh, and so at the end of our story last week, chapter 1, and that's a real brief summary, but at the end of chapter 1, we find that Ruth and Naomi, they come back to Bethlehem at the time of the barley harvest, which is around March, uh, April, sometime around there. The month of Beeb or Nisan, depending on your, <clears throat> your reckoning. So that brings us to chapter 2. And now we're introduced in verse 1 to a, a new character in the story. And his name is Boaz. Now, uh, some, if you do some research on the internet there's all kinds of conjectures about what the name Boaz means and uh, last week we were filled with names that had meaning weren't we Naomi means pleasant Ruth means friendship Bethlehem means house of bread Elimelech means God is my king uh, Machlon means sickly Kilion means pining and there's all these word pictures Boaz and I've and I've listened to guys who know a lot about Hebrew it's just really uncertain as to what his name means. So to, to try to draw a whole lot of uh, inferences from that would be conjecture and not, not really be germane to the study today. But what we do know, number one, he's a kinsman. That's going to become very important, this concept of a kinsman redeemer. And we'll talk more about that as we go along. But it says that he was not only a relative of Naomi or her, by marriage, her husband, but that he was a mighty man of wealth, the King James says. Now, this phrase, mighty man, uh, is attributed to a lot of folks in the book uh, of the Old Testament. Uh, we, there's two that come to mind immediately. Gideon is called a mighty man uh, of valor. The, by the way, the word translated wealth is also translated valor or virtue. Gideon is called a mighty man of valor. Jephthah is called a mighty man of valor. So it could be that Boaz is a war hero. It very well could be. 
that he's a man of renown, that he's a, a powerful man of strength, that he is a, a man's man. But this word translated wealth, as I mentioned earlier, also means virtue. This word translated wealth is also said of Ruth in chapter 3. And Boaz says you're a woman of virtue in chapter 3. Also in Proverbs 31, how many of you are familiar with Proverbs 31? That's the ideal woman. And, and, and by the way, I would encourage you to look to study, not today while I'm preaching, because I know some of you will do it, even though I tell you not to. I encourage you to study the parallels between Proverbs 31 and the character of Ruth. And what you'll find is that she is very much the epitome of a virtuous woman that Ruth is. Okay? So the name means virtuous. So what we know about Boaz is that he is a man of means. He's a man of wealth. He's perhaps a mighty hero. But above all, he is a man of character. And that will become very apparent as we go through the story this morning. Ruth, verse 2, the Moabitess said unto Naomi, Let me now go to the field and glean ears of corn after him, and in whose sight I shall find grace. And she said unto her, Go, my daughter. Okay. Now, we're going to have to do a little bit of backstory here, a little bit of uh, learning, if you will, a little seminary class on the law of gleaning. So many of you may not be familiar with the law of gleaning. And so we're going to do a little primer on the law of gleaning. Gleaning was, for lack of a better phrase, gleaning was God's welfare system in the Old Testament. It was God's welfare system. And it's vastly different from the welfare system that we have adopted in our country. Okay, And we'll go through that, and I'm sure I'll get somebody all torqued out as I talk about it. I'm always good for some kind of controversy every week, aren't I? Praise God. Hallelujah. But you've got to love me anyway. You don't have to like me, but you do have to love me. God commanded it. And if I make you mad, just forgive me because I forgive you all the time. <laughs> just let you in on a dirty little secret, didn't I? Okay. All right. Notice, notice Ruth takes the initiative. She doesn't wait around and say, well, God is Jehovah Jireh. Remember, she, she worships the Lord. She doesn't say, well, God is Jehovah Jireh. He's going to provide for us somehow. We'll just lay around and wait on a, a loaf of bread to fall from the sky. That's not, that's not how it works. And that's, not, and that's not how it's supposed to work in God's economy. But she takes the initiative, and she says, I'm going to go. And notice she doesn't have a plot or a scheme, okay? There's, there's no indication here that she's like, I'm going to go into the field, and I'm going to find me a rich man, and I'm going to seduce him. That's nowhere in the intention whatsoever. All she's going out to do is to do an honest day's work and hope that somebody will have mercy on her. And somebody's going to. And somebody's going to have mercy on you and me today if we'll let him. He, he's already done a whole lot for us. He's, uh, he's done everything he, he could ever do to assure that you and I are provided for not only physically but spiritually. Let's talk about the law of gleaning. I didn't do PowerPoint this morning, and it's not because I'm lazy. It's because I wanted you to just... Trek with me here. Look with me in the book of Leviticus. Hold your place in Ruth. Put your bulletin in there or something. And go, to me, go with me to the book of Leviticus. It's right at the front of the Old Testament, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus. And go to uh, Leviticus chapter 19. Leviticus 19. Now I'm going to talk fast, so I'm going to need you to listen fast and understand fast and, and comprehend fast. Deal? <laughs> All right, no response. Okay, that's good. That's how I like it. Just sit there like a wooden Indian. That's, that's how I like it. It helps me to preach better. Okay, Leviticus 19. Glory to God. <laughs> it's not me, Lord. I know that. It's, it, they're just sleepy. They're, just, they're sleepy. It's all this rain and cloud cover. That's all, that's all it is. Leviticus 19, are you there? If you're not, you should be ashamed because I've been stalling trying to get you there. All right, look at verse 9. God, now, this is in the law of God. He says, and when you reap the harvest of your land, you shall not wholly reap the corners of your field, neither shall you gather the gleanings of your harvest. Okay, so God said, it was a command. And this was to take care of the poor. Don't leave Leviticus, okay? But God said, when you har remember it's harvest time. Remember also that this is the period of the judges, right? When everybody does what's right in their own eyes. So who knows who's actually following the law of Leviticus? We know that Boaz is, thankfully. God always has a remnant somewhere. But uh, let's now look at Leviticus 23. <clears throat> Shouldn't have any trouble finding it. <laughs> Leviticus 23. Now look at verse 22. 
And by the way, this is describing the Feast of the Lord, and this is, uh, the context is the Feast of Pentecost. Pentecost and Ruth are closely linked together. By the way, the Jews, I don't know if they realize this, but when they celebrate the Feast of Pentecost, the Feast of Weeks, Shavuot in Hebrew, they actually read the book of Ruth. Ruth is read during the Feast of Pentecost or Weeks. Interesting. Uh, and by the way, that's the only feast that includes leavened bread. Uh, and we'll, we'll talk about that as we go. Uh, Leviticus 23. Notice verse 22. He says, And when you reap the harvest of your land, you shall not make clean riddance of the corners of your field when you reap, neither shall you gather any gleaning of your harvest. He shall leave them unto the poor and to the stranger. Ah, interesting. What is Ruth? She's a stranger, isn't she? She's a Moabitess. I am Jehovah. I am the Lord your God. All right, now flip over two more books to Deuteronomy 24. Deuteronomy 24. And we get to verse 19. Deuteronomy 24, verse 19. When you cut down your harvest in your field and you forgot a sheaf in the field, you shall not go again to fetch it. That would be real tempting to do, wouldn't it? If you were a harvester and you owned the land, it would be real tempting to go back and get what you dropped. So I've got, I've got a little dog in my house, and if I drop anything, it's gone. Any food. Anybody know what I'm talking about? You got, you got one of them little uh, crumb snatchers, I call them. Always waiting. Always waiting. Just those eyes, radar, zeroed in, just waiting on me to drop something. When you cut down the harvest in your field, if you forgot a sheep, don't go back again to fetch it. It shall be for the stranger, for the fatherless, and for the widow. What is Ruth? She's a widow. So is Naomi. That the Lord thy God may bless thee in all the work of thine hands. Notice there's a blessing for those who take care of the poor. And that's still true today. God, whoever gives to the poor lends unto the Lord, the Bible says. How many times does the Bible say in the New Testament, when we should remember the poor? Remember the poor. Blessed are the poor. Now, I think Matthew says poor in spirit. I think Luke says blessed are the poor. James says, has not God chosen the poor of this world rich in faith? Jesus said to the church in Smyrna, he says, I know you're poverty, but you're rich. He says to the church in Laodicea, I know you're rich, but you're really poor, spiritually poor. Okay, back to the book of Ruth, chapter 2. So this is the law of gleaning, okay? Now, the law of gleaning does not reward the lazy, the slothful, and the indolent. Amen? You had to go out and glean, and gleaning was hard work. Gleaning was, nobody was just throwing it out there for you. You had to go out there, and it was hot work. You know, this was summertime, springtime, summertime in the Middle East, and it was hot work, and it was demeaning work. Listen, if you were a gleaner, please don't miss this. If you were a gleaner, you were about as low on the proverbial totem pole of society as you could get. It was all up from there if you're a gleaner. Uh, I don't really know how I can compare it, but, but think about maybe somebody that's so destitute that they have to hang out behind a restaurant and going through the dumpster to get food. I mean, that's about where, you know, that's about where uh, Naomi and Ruth are, okay? You kind of get the flavor of it. And this was not a, a, a time when women uh, held careers like they do today. It was not a time when they were able to, uh, to, to go as a skilled laborer into the workforce. So they were wholly dependent as widows, and especially with Ruth as a foreigner, upon the kindness of strangers, the mercies of God. And God's going to take care of them, though. And so we get in verse 3, She went and came and gleaned in the field after the reapers. And her hap, the King James says, the word is chance in the Hebrew, and her hap was to light on a part of the field belonging to Boaz, who was of the kindred of Elimelech. Now, if I were to phrase that in our modern vernacular, I don't believe in luck, but we might say it like this, As luck would have it. Ruth just happens to find herself in the field of Boaz. Do you know there's not any accidents for the child of God? I mean, we don't live in an economy of luck and accidents. I don't, I'm not looking for a four-leaf clover. I don't worry if I step on the crack, I'm going to break my mama's back. Did y'all say that when you were little? <laughs> don't worry about that kind of stuff. Well, that's awful morbid, isn't it? Stephanie, why why got to be your mom's her break? I don't know. But I don't worry about that stuff. I don't worry about... Uh, walking under a ladder or, or seeing a cat, black cat or anything like that. I just, I don't believe in luck. I believe that in the economy of God, there's no accidents. And if you're a Christian, you need to adopt the Romans 8 paradigm. We know that all things work together for good. 
to those that love God, to those who are the called according to his purpose. Whether you believe it, whether you see it, whether you feel it, God is always at work in your life. Even in the rough times, especially in the rough times, in the rough times we learn to depend on God. I have learned to depend on him. I read, uh, this has been resonating to me from the Psalms lately. The psalmist says, before I was afflicted, I went astray. You know, There's something about going through trouble that will get you on your knees. Amen? Something like going through hard times and suffering lack and, and having a need that will bring you to the foot of the cross. And it will humble you and God will use that. And behold, verse 4, Boaz just happens to come out just at the right time that Ruth just happened to be gleaning in his field. Now, I didn't mention this in verse 3, but it says, notice it says in verse 3, a part of the field belonging to Boaz. Apparently, there was a big common field, okay? And there were no signs, but there were stones that would mark who, who owned this part of the field or who owned that part of the field. So it's a massive field, but she just happens to be in the part that belongs to Boaz, and he just happens to just come there, you know. God, people wonder, you know, can I ever meet somebody? You know, some of you singles, you wonder, can, can I ever meet anybody? Does God have somebody for me? If you're a Ruth, God has a Boaz for you. If you're a Boaz, God has a Ruth for you. And you don't have to force it. You don't have to uh, go looking for love in all the wrong places, as that song used to say. Look, I've always got a good country song to throw in for a verse somewhere or another. Uh, you don't have to. God can find you where you are. Find out where God wants you to be, and when you happen to be where God wants you to be, things just start happening. Notice I put an extra N in happening. I didn't mean to. <laughs> happening. All right. Now Boaz came from Bethlehem and said unto the reapers, Jehovah be with you, the Lord be with you. And they answered him, the Lord bless you. Now in a story that's only four chapters, that only has, what, 85 verses or something, why on earth do we have Boaz greeting his helpers? How is that germane to the story? Well, if I can suggest to you this, I believe that the Holy Spirit is trying to show us that Boaz is not a Sunday morning Christian, that his faith has made it into the marketplace, that his employees know he's a believer, and they have come to appreciate the blessing of God upon his life. Wouldn't it be wonderful if, we, if you got to the job and instead of taking God's name in vain, they said, praise the Lord. Glory to God. Wouldn't it be great if your boss said, praise the Lord, hallelujah. Wouldn't it be great if your employees showed up for work instead of saying, I hate my job, I hate my life, I can't wait to kick my dog when I get home. Say, praise the Lord, thank God I got a job. Wouldn't it, wouldn't it be great? I've worked in a, I worked in one place that was like that. And it wasn't a church, it was a, it was a secular place of employment, but it was owned by a Christian lady. And for seven years, I mean, it was, it was hard work. We, we, we had diligent work, but we had devotions every morning, and we prayed together. And I'm going to tell you what, you know how you lose touch with employees and employers and stuff? I, I'm still friends with these guys 20 years later. I mean, we still love each other. We're like family. So anyway, so Boaz said unto his servant, notice there's an unnamed servant in a story full of names. There's an unnamed servant. Hmm. wonder if there's anything to, to, to glean from that, pardon the pun. Yeah, I think so, and we'll get to that later, not today. Now, notice the question he says. He didn't say, who is this damsel? But whose? Who does that woman belong to? If I could say it in Hebrew, I'd say it like this. <laughs> Whoa. <laughs> Who does that one belong to? I've not seen her gleaning. <laughs> I've, not, I've not noticed her today, but, but I, until today, wow. And the servant, the unnamed servant, he was over the reapers. You figure he'd have a name, right? Because he's kind of an important guy. But anyway, he's an unnamed servant over the reapers. He answered and said, well, it's, it's the outsider. She's from Moab, in case you forgot. <laughs> it's the Moabitess damsel. That came back with Naomi out of the country of Moab. And she said, I pray you let me glean and gather after the reapers among the sheaves. So she came and hath continued even from the morning until now, and she tarried a little in the house. In other words, she only rested for a little while. She only took a little break. But she worked from sunup to sundown. And notice she did not presume that she could glean there. Notice her attitude was not one of expectancy, but one of hopefulness. 
and thankfulness. Prideful people are not thankful. Prideful people don't say thank you. Now, I'm old school, and I don't always do this, but if I can and if I think about it, I like to hold the door for folks if somebody's coming behind me. You know what? It just grinds my gears when people just walk in and don't say thank you when I'm holding the door for them. It does. I know I'm petty. I need prayer. But it's just like, okay, princess, okay, your highness. Glad I could be here to hold the door for you. Next time I'll roll out the red carpet. I don't like it. Prideful people don't say thank you. But Ruth's not like that. Even though, listen, the law commanded, it gave Ruth a right to glean. Amen? Did we read that in Leviticus? But she didn't presume upon that. She was uh, humble. And she's a hard worker. Then said Boaz unto Ruth, verse 8, Hearest thou not my daughter? Well, here we see that there's probably an age disparity here. This is what we would call a May-December romance. Uh, Boaz is probably old enough to be Ruth's dad. Okay, I hope that didn't spoil it for you. I know some of you like a good romance and everybody looks like they do in the Lifetime movies and, or the Hallmark movies, whatever your <laughs> favorite is. But, but this is probably a May-December romance. But, but listen to me, folks. Uh, I'm going to quote to you from an old Scottish proverb. Scottish pastor told me this one time. He was talking about gray-haired men, and, and I, I, I wish I could say it with a Scottish accent, but I can't. But he said this, just because there's snow on the roof doesn't mean there's not a fire in the hearth. Amen? So don't, don't think just because Boaz is an older fellow that he's got nothing to offer, because uh, we'll find out that he does. <laughs> we'll find out that his heart is healthy enough to, to hold up to, to uh, the strenuous activities of marriage, that he's going to, Ruth and he are going to have a child. They're going to have a baby. Now, the rabbis believe that Boaz was 80 years old and that Ruth was 40. But the rabbis also don't believe in Jesus, so I don't put a whole lot of stock in what they say. <laughs> they also believe, and this is, this is rabbinic tradition. <laughs> Why are you laughing at him? He's, he's like, oh gosh, what's he going to say next? They also believe that Boaz died the night after their wedding. But what a way to go, right? <laughs> Again, you know, that's rabbinic tradition. Take it with a grain of salt. It doesn't enhance the story at all or advance it. <laughs> Who knows? But there is an age discrepancy. We, we, he says, go not to glean in another field, verse 8. Neither go from here, but abide here fast by my maidens. Boaz is making plans. The wheels are turning. You guys remember what it was like when you, you fell in love for the first time? Fell in love at first sight with that woman sitting there beside of you? Or, you, you remember what that was like? You need to remind yourself of that, especially when you go through hard times. Remember with that... Remember that Butterfly in your stomach kind of feeling. I believe Boaz has got some butterflies in his stomach. Let your eyes be on the field that they do reap, and go, go thou after them. Have not I charged the young men? Wait a minute. <laughs> Look what he says in verse 9. Have not I charged the young men that they shall not touch you? And when you go thirst, go into the vessels and drink of that which the young men have drawn. So before he ever talks to Ruth, he's already talked to these other guys. He said, now look, you keep your hands to yourself. <laughs> and that tells us a little bit about what it was like to be a gleaner this was the first sexual harassment policy under the Old Testament economy they would be harassed they would be touched when they didn't want they would have unwelcome advances and Boaz says you leave her alone before he ever talks to Ruth he said I've already told everybody to leave you alone oh and you can just drink water where the, where the young men have drawn it would have been, that was totally not customary. It was not kosher. And yet, God is pouring extravagant grace upon Ruth. Now look at verse 10. Then she fell on her face and bowed herself to the ground and said unto him, Why have I found grace in your eyes that you should take knowledge of me, seeing I am a stranger? My goodness. 
Notice her attitude is an attitude of astonishment and not entitlement. Ruth didn't look at Boaz and say, well, it's about time you paid your fair share because you're among the 1% or the 2% or the 3%. It's about time for you to pay your fair share. She didn't say that, did she? She was amazed by grace. I want to ask you this. Are you amazed by grace? I'm going to say something to you, and it might make you mad, but it, if it does, I hope it will drive you to research it. I believe that the people who think they deserve to go to heaven won't be there. I, I, I didn't get that out of a book. I didn't get it from another preacher. I believe that the people who think they deserve to be in heaven won't be there. You, look at Matthew chapter 7. Lord, we did all this stuff in your name. We, prosper, we prophesied in your name. We did miracles. We did wonderful things in your name. We deserve to be here. God said, I don't know you. I don't know you. What about the Pharisee? I thank God I'm not like this other guy, like, not like this publican. I fast and I give and I deserve to be here. And God said, that man didn't go home justified, but who did? The man who said, God have mercy on me, a sinner, you see. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of God. You need to get to the point where you realize you are utterly and morally, spiritually bankrupt without God. And then, then and only then, you can call upon the name of the Lord and you will be saved. When you realize how utterly helpless you are, because you're not dealing with an okay kind of God, you're dealing with a God that deals in terms of perfection. The standard is not pretty good. It's not 99.9.99999%. It's absolute perfection. And there's only one man who ever met that criteria, and he's the man from Galilee, the man from Nazareth, the man who was born in Bethlehem, Jesus Christ of Nazareth. He was tempted in all points like as we are, yet without sin. And God hath made him who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. Hallelujah. Praise the name of the Lord. She fell on her face and said, God, how is it that you have mercy on me? And Boaz answered in verse 11. He said, it had been fully showed me. Now they just met, right? Right? This, there's no other dialogue that's prior to this. He said, it's been fully showed me of all that you've done unto your mother-in-law since the death of your husband and how you've left your father and your mother and the land of your nativity and are coming to a people which you knew not heretofore. That sounds a lot like our buddy Abraham. He went out not knowing where he was going into a strange place. I wonder if he had Abraham in mind as he's, I don't know. But it's interest, interesting to me that before Boaz ever speaks to Naomi, he has knowledge of her, he has foreknowledge of her, and he also has marked out some things for her. He's predestined some things. He's already told the young men to leave her alone. And I'll just leave you to ponder that in the chain of, the chain of redemption there from Romans chapter 8. Those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. Those whom he predestined, those whom he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. Hallelujah. You can see the outworking of Scripture all through. It's an integrated design here. Now notice in verse 12, he says, The Lord recompense thy work. This is Boaz praying here. And a full reward be given thee of the Lord God of Israel, under whose wings you were come to trust. This is what we call a, zo uh, uh, a zoomorphism, using a motif of an animal to try to describe deity. Uh, Psalm 91 talks about under his feathers, you know, he keeps us, and under his wings we trust the Almighty, and he who abides under the shadow of the Almighty. And what a beautiful word picture it is. Under the wings of God, sheltered in the arms of God, and, and Boaz, little does Boaz know, or maybe he does know, that he is going to become the answer to his own prayer. <laughs> Isn't that neat? What if we woke up in the morning saying, God, let me be the answer to somebody's prayer. We're always wanting our needs to be met, aren't we? I mean, I'm no different than you. But what if we said, God, why don't you use me to answer somebody's prayer today? Let me be the voice of encouragement. Let me be the one to sow a seed, uh, an offering. Let me be the one to offer up um, some, some help, some helping hands. And then she said, let me find favor in your sight, my Lord. The, the Hebrew word is ad, adon. It's not adonai, but it's adon. It's a term of respect. For that you have comforted me, and for that you have spoken friendly unto your handmaid, though I be not like one of your handmaids. 
She said, I don't belong here. And I love the picture in the Hebrew. You can't get it in English. You can't reproduce it. But what she's basically saying is, you have spoken words that have gone straight to my heart. That's what it means in the Hebrew. You've spoken words that have gone straight to my heart. Remember how the day started for Ruth? The day didn't start full of promise for Ruth, did it? I mean, they need food and they need family and they don't really have any prospects for food or family. And she just, she takes the initiative. She goes out and decides she's going to work and she's going to do what the Bible says because the Bible says if any man will not work, neither should he eat. The Bible says if a man provide not for his own, he's worse than an unbeliever. My goodness, that's strong language there. What Paul said to Timothy, he's worse than an infidel and has denied the faith. She begins today not with a lot of hope. But now she's found extravagant grace. And Boaz said unto her, verse 14, At mealtime come hither, and eat of the bread, and dip your morsel in the vinegar. This, um, how many of you like Carabas restaurant? Tell you. Now, I like their chicken marsala. I'm not a big Olive Garden fan. Hopefully I didn't offend anybody. This I, I'm, you know. I, I, but you know what I like about Carabas? I like their food. But what I like is when you get there and they bring you the bread out and then they got this little concoction and it's got olive oil and spices and herbs and all kinds of stuff. And I just feel like big stuff when I'm dipping my bread in there. Yeah. We came to the big town of Matthews today. We're eating bread and special vinegar stuffy. We're not eating ramen noodles tonight, baby. <laughs> the idea here is this kind of a delicacy. You know, it's, it's, it's adding some, it's enhancement to the, to the roasted grain. But, but I want you to notice, it says that she sat beside the reapers and he, is that what your Bible says? If it don't, you need a new translation. It says, and he reached her parched corn. Who did? Boaz. Here is a wealthy, mighty man of valor who owns the whole thing. And what's he doing? He's serving a gleaner. The lowest of society. So talk to me about how you're overqualified. My wife was a human resource manager uh, for, a, for a, a staffing company in Charlotte. And I'm glad she's out of there because it was a rough part of town. But, uh, but she would tell me there would be guys outside they would hire every day. If you showed up and you could pass a drug test, they would put you to work that day. And if you couldn't pass a drug test, they'd send you somewhere where it would be okay for you to work. So if you wanted to get a job, you could go somewhere and work. And she said there'd be people right outside the building with signs saying, we'll work for food. Don't you believe it? Hey, there's places hiring from here, from coast to coast, everywhere you go. And so you see somebody with a sign there that says, we'll work for food. You roll the window down and say, you're lying. You're lying, sir. You're lying, ma'am. And you know why they do that? Because they can make a lot more money standing out there begging than they can working hard. And our country's going to be in a hot mess if we keep mailing out checks and telling people it's okay to sit at home and not work. That's not godly. That's not biblical. And we're going to reap the consequences of it. Mark my words, we will. We will. All right. Are you mad at me yet? If not, <laughs> sit still. I'll be there in a minute. <laughs> We're almost done. And when she was risen up to glean, now notice she doesn't just lay there at the table. She gets up to glean. She's going back to work. She rises up to glean, and Boaz commanded his young men. He says, now let her glean among the sheaves and reproach her not. Now she's got an extra favored position. Now she doesn't have to wait until everything's done. She gets to walk alongside the, the, uh, the reapers. And it gets even better. And notice in verse 16, I love this. And let fall also some of the, I love how the King James phrases it, handfuls of purpose. We're just going to let a few good pieces of the crop just kind of fall down, you know, just by accident. So as not to shame her, okay? He's not trying to shame her. He's just being extravagant. You know, God's got some handfuls of purpose for you and me all over the place. If we'll just open our eyes, I believe the blessings of the Lord are just all around us. The Bible says he's plenteous in redemption. Blessed be the Lord. Bless the Lord, O oh my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O oh my soul, and forget not all of his benefits. 
I don't know what your benefits package is like at work, but God's got a great benefit program. And the real, the real kick of it is the benefits are out of this world. They're great. Pun intended. All right. So she gleaned in the field until even and beat out that she had gleaned. Ruth had a full day. And she beat out what she had gleaned, and it was about an F of barley. Now, when was the last time you measured out an F of anything? <laughs> Just yesterday I was making a pie. And, uh, no, don't even try it. <laughs> don't even try it. From best I can gather, it's about four to five gallons, but uh, maybe 30 pounds. But the point is, it was enough food to last more than a day. I mean, this is a big, this was more than a day's ration for a gleaner, okay? How many of you know God don't just want to fill your cup up? He wants it running into the saucer, you know, and, and that's not, I'm not just talking about money. I'm talking about all kinds of the blessing of God. And she took up into the city, and her mother-in-law saw what she had gleaned. I wonder what Naomi saw when she, she saw Ruth come, you know, come dragging in this stuff. Naomi's like, huh, something that happened today. <laughs> she doesn't met somebody extraordinary, right? And, uh, and notice it says she gave, look at the end of verse 18. She gave to her that she had reserved after she was sufficed. What is that? That's the, uh, that's the Carabas bread and dip that she had. She saved, she saved what she couldn't eat after she had gotten full. She was not a waster, in other words. Thankful people are not wasters. Humble people are not wasters. Okay? Verse 19. And her mother-in-law said unto her, <laughs> and if I could say this with a good Jewish mother accent, I would. <laughs> Where have you been today? <laughs> you come in here dragging all this grain, barley. What, what is going on here? Where have you been, my daughter? And where did you work? Blessed be he that did take knowledge of you. And she showed her mother-in-law with whom she had wrought and said, the man's name with whom I wrought today is Boaz. And I imagine in Naomi's ear, she went ding, 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 ding. Wait a minute. Wait just a minute. Yes. I don't know why she didn't think about him before. But you know, bitterness and sorrow and despair will cloud your perspective on things. You know, it will. But now, Naomi says unto her daughter-in-law, Blessed be he of the Lord, Jehovah. Now, what was the story, what was, uh, what was the song she was singing in the last chapter? Don't call me Naomi, call me Mara. Because God's against me. Nothing's going my way. The hand of the Almighty is against me. Everything's bad. That was the tune she was singing last chapter. But now she's gone from bitterness to betterness. How do you like that? She's gone from bitterness to betterness. And you've got that choice too. You can stay bitter or you can get better. The choice is yours. Be better. Be better. Blessed be the Lord, he of Jehovah. Notice what she, what she says. And she's talking about God here. Who hath not left off his kindness. There's the Hebrew word again, hesed. Hesed. For those of you that like that guttural sound. Hesed. To the living and to who? Dead. Oh, oh, oh. Now, how is Boaz being going to be good to the dead? Hmm. I wonder. And Naomi said unto her, The man is near of kin unto us, one of our next kinsmen. Naomi has already worked out in her mind what's going to happen. She's already worked it out in her mind that's why she says it like she says it how is the dead going to be honored how be shown kindness because his name is not going to be put out from israel forever his name will be will be preserved okay verse 21 and ruth and by the way where is she from <laughs> the moabitess said he said unto me also you shall keep fast by my young men until they have ended all my harvest again this is a favored position here. This is not anything that would have been a normal protocol. And Naomi said unto Ruth, her daughter-in-law, It is good, my daughter, that you go out with his maidens and that they meet thee not in any other field. If I could put it this way, Naomi said, Girl, don't you go nowhere. You stay right there. 
This guy has got eyes for you. And oh, by the way, we're related to him. <laughs> so, verse 23, she kept fast by the maidens of Boaz to glean unto the end of the barley harvest and of what? Wheat harvest. Whoa. What's going on there? Well, that's a period of at least two months. The wheat harvest, the barley harvest is tied with the month of Abib, Nisan. The wheat harvest is tied with Pentecost. When is Pentecost? Usually around June, end of May, right? So we got a couple of months here, give or take, at least 50 days. But we got a couple of months here where Ruth and Boaz are seeing each other every day. And this is kind of anticlimactic for those of us who are hopeless romantics. And how does the story end in chapter 2? Well, she lived with her mother-in-law. What fun is that? <laughs> it's going to get better, I promise. It's going to get better. Just a few observations. Just a few observations. Number one, we see how Ruth is now finding Hesed in the eyes of Boaz and the eyes of God. Ruth's kindness is now being rewarded. I'm going to tell you this, you can't outgive God. You'll never outgive him. And I don't just mean in money. Again, don't just think about monetary things. I believe that those who give mercy will be shown mercy. I believe those that sow encouragement will be encouraged. Those that water other people's garden will be watered themselves. I believe that. And we see Ruth as being uh, rewarded. And, and the reward, this is just a, uh, well, okay, number two. Naomi and Boaz in the story never meet, interestingly enough. Now, Naomi is the one who's related to Boaz. She's the, by marriage, but yet in, over this course of time, there's no dialogue between Boaz and Naomi. And a Naomi is idiomatic of Israel. She, her name means pleasant, the pleasant land. Ruth is symbolic of Gentiles of the church. And so there's a period of time in which Boaz and Naomi are not talking. Okay? Hopefully you begin, I'm whetting your appetite for some deeper spiritual truths here. Thirdly, God has begun his payment of Ruth's wages and the generosity of Boaz is the first fruits or the first installment of what will be a future glory for Ruth and for Naomi. Just as the Holy Spirit is our first fruits, he's the, inherit, he's the earnest, the King James says, the earnest of our inheritance, the pledge of some future glory. Final thought here. I want you to know something interesting. Now, I, I kind of had fun with this when I whistled like a construction worker at a, at a pretty woman. I, I, I kind of made fun with it. But do you know that in the book of Ruth, as far as I know, it never mentions her physical beauty. Never does. Now, Sarah, the Bible tells us Sarah was so beautiful, Abraham had to lie and say she's my sister. The Bible tells us Rebecca was beautiful. The Bible tells us that uh, Rachel, that she was beautiful. Jacob fell in love with her at first sight. Bible, numerous times when there's an extraordinary woman, the Bible will say she was fair to look upon. She was beautiful. She was a, a fair maiden. But in the story of Ruth, the emphasis is not on her physical beauty, though I believe she probably was physically attractive. But the emphasis is on her virtue. She's a hard-working woman. She's humble. She's thankful. And most importantly, she worships Jehovah. She's come to trust in his wings. And I want to tell you that, men and women, a man or a woman that's humble, that's hard-working, and that loves God with all of their heart is a really magnetic kind of person, a really attractive kind of person inside and out physical beauty fades but true virtue never gets old would you stand this morning i hope that you've been encouraged this morning i hope that you've seen yourself somewhere in the story that's the beautiful thing about the bible you can find yourself in the story god in the person of jesus christ has paid the price for you and me to be Redeemed. The price of redemption has been paid. He died on Calvary's cross so that you and I, you know, you and I are all like Ruth. We come into this world outsiders. We are alienated not only from the commonwealth of Israel, 
for those of us who are Gentiles, but we, we are estranged from God. We're dead in trespasses and sins. We are enemies of God. We're not just casual acquaintances. We're enemies of God. We're at enmity with Him. But God has taken the wrath upon Himself in the person of His Son. Jesus Christ became sin for us. Let me tell you, you'll not find a better deal anywhere where you trade your sin, when you trade your self-righteous, filthy rags in for the perfect righteousness of Jesus Christ. You'll not find a better deal anywhere. Nowhere. And so if you come to Christ humbly today, not arrogantly, not saying, God, I know when you get me, you're getting a real prize. But if you will... If you'll experience what John MacArthur calls the trauma of holiness and you get a glimpse of who God is and you'll say, woe is me, I'm undone. I'm an unclean man in the midst of an unclean people. God, I'm undone. My, I, I, I can't go another day. I can't, I can't make one hair white or black. I can't add one cubit unto my stature. And you say, God, be merciful unto me, a sinner. And you call upon the name of the Lord. You believe in his death, burial, and his resurrection. The Bible says, if you will confess him with your mouth and believe it in your heart, you will be saved. There may be somebody here today that's discouraged. Maybe you started your day off today like Ruth and Naomi with no prospect of any kind of good things happening to you. And maybe, just maybe, you've had such, such a run of bad luck, and I'm, I'm just using that word idiomatically. Maybe you've just had a, a bad run of things to where it's hard for you to even muster up this courage to have hope. If you've never been there, then I envy you. Because I've been there in my own life, and it's not a fun place. When you get to the place where you, get, you suffer disappointment after disappointment after tragedy, after setback after setback, and you begin to wonder, can anything good really happen to me? Like Naomi, don't call me pleasant anymore. Call me Mara. I'm just, life has dealt me bitterness. You know that can change? Because if you believe in the Lord, God is working, even though you don't see it. Even though the day started for Ruth and Naomi, they had no clue what God was up to. What are they doing? They're just going through the motions of life, doing what they need to do to survive. And all the while, God's working behind the scenes. Can I tell you this morning? God's working behind the scenes in your life and in my life. There's a theological term for that, and it's providence. And we just go about doing the right thing day after day. Do not be weary in well-doing. For in due season, we too shall reap if we faint not. If that's you this morning, any of those needs, the altar is open. Would you come?